Okay, TV. A podcast of the television. Uh, this one's actually going out on our regular feed, so we'll introduce ourselves. It is? Yes. Oh, okay. It is. We're just going to throw this out into the world? I, yes, we should. You know, Think of it as a lost leader, if nothing else. Uh, but, sure. You know, we want to get the word out. Normally, uh, this is a show that is uh, sent directly to our subscribers at Patreon. Patreon.com slash linoleum knife. But we have a legitimate celebrity guest today. That's right. And uh, <laughs> she's laughing. <laughs> um, our, our, how many, how many world famous television personalities have we had on LKTV? We've a, had a few. Rose Jeff. Abdu, and uh, we just had Jeff Hiller from from uh, uh, somebody somewhere who we did not know until that moment. Because our listener, Amber, knows him. Yes. Rose is our friend, Rose Abdu from Gilmore Girls. Um, is, have there been any more uh, uh, super-duper famousy people? I can't, uh, th- I guess, well, you know, Brian Fuller, sure. You know, we, we've sure. Before. Uh, but I, how this never got, we, this hasn't happened sooner. Th- this it, is the funniest part to me. upon This me. person that we've known for... Almost 25 years. Oh, yeah. my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And we've <laughs> and, and, and the podcasts that we've been doing for <laughs> six, we 12, tw- six to 12 years, depending we on which one you're listening we to. We have not exploited this friendship no, nearly well not enough, at all. clearly. <laughs> clearly. Obviously. World famous <laughs> and all. Well, t- she's here today at long last, and uh, not only is she a-, a television legend, a legacy cast member of the cult classic uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, which returns for season 13, now available streaming on the Gizmoplex app. She is also the host of the Mary Jo Peel Show on Twitch and the author of the hilarious new book, Dumb, 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 My Mother's Book Reviews. Please welcome Mary Jo Peel. I think you forgot world famous. World famous Mary Jo Peel. Yes, sorry, sorry. (laughs) World famous TM Mary Jo Peel. Hi, everybody. I I can't believe it's been 25 years. And as I was thinking about you, is it okay if I just like start talking? Please. We would love that. How do you like to? Okay. Um, I always think of when I first came to LA, Alonzo invited, I was staying at your place. Yes. Whatever the circumstances were. And I got in kind of late. You uh, showed me uh, your spare bedroom, which was so nice and lovely of you to host me. And when I woke up in the morning, there was light in the room and I saw just walls and walls and walls of Mystery Science Theater DVDs and videos. And then I, I got a little unnerved, like, yeah. Ew. <laughs> yes, it was too late. <laughs> yeah, it was too late. It was so great. No, I, uh, I think about you guys a lot and I'm happy to be here. Alonzo, um, uh, met you via the USA film festival. That's right. And right. I remember, I don't remember the circumstances. Mary jo came in to be on the short film on jury. The short film jury. And I remember at the time, uh, you know, we were watching the show and we were fans and I remember you coming home and saying, guess who said yes? <laughs> oh my gosh. Seriously. That's so, so. Stalk- uh, it's so stalkery. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I still get like, it's so wild to me that, that it is still really wild to me that, and I'm not trying to be self-effacing. I'm just observing that this is kind of a crazy half-life of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah. Does that make sense? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yes. it's it's tendrils move in many directions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, For you especially. No, I remember we used to have in the guest room, we had those shelves of, of DVDs VHS and tapes. VHS tapes. 
And back in the 90s, Alonzo was like recording all the episodes of MST on VHS tapes. Um, and his friend, like Kurt, didn't you yeah. like trade them with Kurt or something every once in a while, like oh, episodes you didn't have? Yeah, there was, there was a moment where I had moved from LA back to Dallas and the show had moved to... I can't remember if this, the show was already on the Sci-Fi Channel or whatever, but anyway, there was a there was a hiccup where I had missed about six months worth of shows. So mm-hmm. so Kurt was circulating the tapes and <laughs> sending them to me. So yeah, I'm I'm a completist, and um, I, I fooled you into being my friend, Mary Jo. <laughs> <laughs> you were that morning you woke up and saw all those tapes. Uh-huh. You you were very close to being cooked and eaten. <laughs> You, if I had a dime for every time I yeah. heard that, Dave White, good God. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, instead, sorry, I, 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 I have to take a laugh break. <laughs> <laughs> you were this close to being cooked. <laughs> instead, I fed you the very Indeed. worst, the very worst pork chops that I have ever made in my entire life. This was 20 years ago, and it is burned in my memory. Oh, God, Dave. Are you still, kidding me? He still no, feels chagrin about I still this. feel shame. Like, I remember I remember them coming out and being like, oh, no. These are oh. destroyed. Oh I God. guess I'm serving them anyway. <laughs> and, and you were so gracious. Midwesterner that you are. <laughs> Well, I was just picturing like how I must have behaved and also I don't I don't have a lot of food discernment with all due respect. Dave. <laughs> um so, so nope. I think it is so funny and so sweet that it still weighs heavy on your mind because that's oh. how I would be. Like I would wake up in the middle of the night. I still do, thinking about stuff that happened 40 years ago. Sometimes yeah. I think about grudges I have against people and I can't remember what the grudge was. <laughs> I just know I'm mad at them for something from 50 years ago. They know why. <laughs> <laughs> damn, damn straight. All right, Alonzo, talk so, business. Speaking of uh, 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 50 years ago, uh, you you have just put out this extraordinary new book called uh, Dumb, 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 and it is on its surface a collection of your mother's note cards uh, where she would review books that she took out of the library, and she was apparently a voracious reader, Um, but it becomes this sort of jumping off point to kind of delve into what your relationship with her was like and the good parts and the bad parts and the things about her that you loved and the things about her that drove you bananas and and the things about you that drove her bananas. Um, (laughs) What was the genesis of this project? Was it literally, I mean, obviously you find the note cards, but, but then at what point do you go, Hey, there's a book in this. I, that's a really good question. I'm not sure when I actually had that clarifying moment because it, it really takes me a long time to realize stuff. But um, I do know it is really cemented in my memory that my dad handed me those cards from the closet when we were cleaning out her closets. And he he said, you take these, you're the writer in the family after all. And it was a really wild moment because... For years, my parents didn't get what I did for a living. They didn't get that you didn't go to a job at eight and come home at five and have benefits. And I talk a little bit about that in in the book about how pragmatic they were. So it was my my father's gesture, both metaphorically and literally, that was like sort of this acknowledgement. And when I started going through the cards. I obviously was having a lot of um, memories and some of them are so funny. I think I wanted to bring her to light. I wanted Mm. to paint a portrait of her, I guess. And I couldn't exactly extract that from my relationship with her. Sure. And you know it it it's it's a very personal book, and you kind of you you get into those moments that I think we all have where, yeah, where our parents don't understand what we're about and what we want to do, but also the the moments where we don't 
reach out to them in the way that we should. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, I, you know, I, I felt those revelations were, were they, were these things that you, like we were saying before, that you've been carrying around forever or that you, in the process of doing this, remembered, oh yeah, we had that conversation and maybe I could have handled that better. Oh yeah. It was definitely in the process. It was a little, uh, therapeutic. I hope it's not too self-indulgent therapeutic, um, as you read it, but it did, it did, bring up a lot of interactions, but it also brought up this idea that my wanting my mother to understand me was so one-sided. I think maybe that's the nature of the beast when you're a kid or a young adult, that it's all about you and they don't get you. And I realized being the age that I am, that I didn't bother to see her side or get her or understand that she was a three-dimensional human being. All I saw was this, you know, maternal oppressor of my life. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I'm the youngest of seven myself, and I, I know, know. You, you you come from a, a big family. And I, I know that if anything I were to ever write about my parents, I would have six other people telling me, well, that's not how I remember it. That's not what our relationship was like. How has this book played with the other peels? <laughs> they haven't read it yet. So <laughs> <laughs> that also sounds like my family. <laughs> no, no, I haven't I haven't given it to them because A, I'm a terrible self-promoter and uh, I am really close to my siblings, and I also know that they will be um, a, a good leveling force. I think they'll be really supportive, but they are drawn fairly, um, fairly loosely in the book. I don't go into a lot of depth with them. And absolutely, I think that's the nature of memoir or memory itself is that they are not going to have the same memories. They're not going to have the same perspective. There is a part where I talk about um, after my mother's death, we talk here and there, we still do, about um, who has the recollection of what. Because it's a, a family of five. Some people were closer to a situation than I might have been. And so I... I uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but have I answered your question? <laughs> I, I, no, I'm just sort of ruminating, and then I'm like, oh, I I should hang up and listen. So. <laughs> um, you know, I, I I I you know, I'm also curious just about the the, the process of because this is a book that could have just been very jokey and very like. You know, because your mom has very terse wit. Like, I see where you get a lot of your kind of commentary skills because the way that she can, like, just destroy a novel in one <laughs> sentence is, you know, I I tip my hat, the late Mrs. Peel. Um, oh. uh, so walk us through, like, sort of, you know, going going with the source material, and then you know what 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 that dig was like for you. And uh, I, I think at some point you did you went to sort of like a Chautauqua for this, right? No, what did I? I thought you went to like no. some like a writer's seminar out in the woods somewhere. Oh no, not out in the woods. It was a uh, it was a memoir writing class at a local organization mm. here in the Twin Cities. Is that what you mean? Yes, I think that's what I'm thinking. Okay, yeah. Um. So what was the question <laughs> the 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 process of of you know of of getting into the 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 material and realizing how much this was going to draw upon your relationship with your mom and and kind of working through that stuff oh, and putting right. it down on paper right maybe you guys experience this where the more you write the more is unearthed the more things come up and you you sort of follow these these things and your thoughts and your recollections it was kind of a bitch to organize because it's like um i do it in vignettes based off sort of groupings or singular reviews that have something uh in common that might not be overtly obvious um And so I just started ruminating and brainstorming and I just let myself type. And then to group them, it's like having a million puzzle pieces where a lot of them could have fit anywhere. 
Right. So I think, I mean, that's just my writing style where I just start writing and I don't interrupt myself. I just want to see where it goes, where it takes me. Um, Alonso, can I back up and ask you a question? Of course. So you come, you're the youngest of seven. Yeah. Um, when you, if you were to have written a memoir, like, would you seek, seek out your siblings reading it before you published it? Or like, what would your process have been? <laughs> Good question. Uh, you know, as Dave could be the first to tell you, I never remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yes, I know. I know. Right, right. I'm a sieve with stuff. Like, I can tell you about 1930s character actors, but like things that actually happen in my life or people I've actually met fly out. Like, people, I'm actually a good secret keeper because I don't remember them. Somebody will <laughs> tell so me something in confidence. And then yes. it'll just like, it'll do in, into the air. Here's a good so. example. <laughs> About 10 years ago, I woke up in the middle of the night with chest pains. Okay, don't. And here it is. This is true. And I said, um, something's wrong, and maybe I'm having a heart attack. And, and he drove me to the emergency room right away. I was not having a heart attack. I was having, like, a panic attack or something. And, I feel you, yeah. And, um, and about a month ago, I brought it up, and, and he goes, what? No, that I didn't hear the first part of what you said. I, of course, I remember. Try, stop taking, trying to defend yourself. <laughs> taking you to the ER in the court of memory. You are. There guilty. are a lot of things I forget, but I totally remember driving you to the ER. So stop, stop showing. No, no, no. Off this is company. a good. This is a good story, and it's uh, all true. Anyway, even though that particular anecdote is a fake lie from Dave White, generally speaking, yes, I'm terrible at remembering things. So, um, yeah, I think if I if I felt like I had a had a narrative that I owned, maybe not. Like, I don't know, or or at least I would I would make it clear like this is what I'm writing and this is how I remember it. And if you remember it a different way, go write your own <laughs> memoir. No, right, and that's what a lot of memoir writers will will tell you. you. You know, if you don't like it, write your own story. And I think, like I say, my siblings were drawn in very broad strokes because a I didn't want to go so deep in the the weeds that I had to get all their permissions, which I would have done because I love them and respect them. Um, B, it, it would have gotten way too, too complicated. And I use them and the broad strokes to just illustrate a contrast between them. All of them have these like real jobs and myself and how my parents dealt with that. So I'm sorry if I got as far afield, but I was just curious about how each of you would handle that in a similar I mean, situation. Dave has written a memoir and and has certainly taken a lot of P notes. Published and everything. For possibly yes. doing one about his mom. So I mean, like, this might be, this is probably more your department. Uh, one of my brothers read the book. Uh, how many are in your family, Dave? I'm the third uh, son of four boys. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And one of my brothers read the book and he was like, I don't remember any of these things that you're talking about. And I was like, well, you're, I don't know what to say about you. You don't remember things the way I do because it didn't happen to you. Exactly. The end. Stop yeah, bothering exactly. me. Exactly. <laughs> Was he was he bitching about it or was well, he accusatory? Know, I, he wasn't he wasn't complaining as much as he was like, Well, clearly you are not thinking clearly about your own life, you know. It's that it's that <laughs> yes. thing that siblings do to each other where they accuse each other of not knowing their own minds, you know? Yeah. <gasps> yes, exactly. <laughs> and it just occurred to me that probably the only thing that my my sisters, my two older sisters will say is did you make me look skinny? <laughs> Does this memoir make my ass look big? <laughs> totally, totally. No, I think they're very supportive. Um, and I, what I think will happen is I think it will bring up a lot of their own grieving about my mother. You mm. know, we are, we are sort of hearty and sarcastic on the surface, but we're, really mounds of mush inside. I have a question. Yes. Did anyone in the family know that your mom was keeping these like note cards? No, no. That's the wild, really wild piece of it. And um, she never told anybody. 
No, I think it was just for her own benefit. Her own benefit and her own little, um, you know, in her little garage sale closet and her little clear plastic recipe box. And uh, my dad might have known. That's a really good question. I'd like to clarify that with him. Um, But I didn't. My siblings didn't know. And uh, damn it, I wish I would have queried them before I took the deep dive into all those reviews. I uh, I always feel like I get a, a, an amazing, you know, seven point, uh, uh, you know, narrative about the Duralde family as they were all growing up. Because sure. every time I'm with his family and they're all together, they are talking, talking, talking about everything they remember. They have, you know, slides. We sit around and watch <gasps> old slides. Um, you know, the pandemic started in 2020 and they began a a weekly zoom call and they enjoyed themselves so much that they just kept it going. Like it's still happening every Sunday afternoon. Oh yeah. And so this is a family that, you know, loves to tell each other things, (laughs) you know, a story of ourselves all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) And so... I uh, I feel like I've been given like the the family history from every angle, including you know vintage visuals, uh, you know of everybody in a Howard Johnson's in 1967, you know. So fascinating, your Rashomon. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Mystery Science Theater is back, and you yes. are on it as you as you should be. Uh, how is it to like you know once again step into the uh, the the eyeshadow of uh, of Pearl Forrester? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is very. I still always take a step back, as I mentioned, and observe this this crazy half life of Mystery Science Theater. I don't know if I'm using that term correctly, but. Uh, the, the tendrils, as you described it. Uh, so I always marvel at that, that I get to, okay, first of all, they flew me to LA. So for 36 hours, which is why I didn't get to see you guys, I knew you were going to start accusing me of something. So I Oh no, it's fine. It's fine, Mary Jo. We get it. (laughs) We know our, our diminished role in your life. (laughs) Excuse me, Alonzo. I was acting. I was acting. <laughs> Ask my agent. <laughs> but but here's here's how deep I am. The hotel was great, so I will do damn near anything for a great hotel. Um, you know what? It is really fun because um, several of the cast members cast members I've really clicked with, like um, Rebecca Hansen, is brilliant mm-hmm. and funny and suitably uh adulating of me is that a word is, Adul- is, this, uh, is this cynthia <laughs> yes she's cynthia so yeah. she's she is your clone so she better be adulating yeah right? but she's no i just admire her so much she's so funny and uh i just adore her and tim Ryder, who directed uh, a couple several episodes I'm guessing is just a doll. And of course, you know, you get to see Patton. And uh, when I was there this last time, I got to see Jay Elvis. And I think I'm going far afield to your question. It's great. Who has this kind of life? It's ridiculous. No, it's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, it's funny because it it is, you know, you, you talk about, you know, the, the, the new kids, like this has become a generational phenomenon now. I mean, you know, most of us started watching the show in the nineties. And so now you're looking at like, I don't know, grandchildren of, of people who oh who were the original fans being, no, you know, know, turned on to the, the new season. So, I mean, uh, for, for people who don't know, what is your MST origin story? Oh, mine, my yes. personal one. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, well it was, it started at a local channel here in the twin cities. And then, third or fourth season they got picked up by comedy central Mm -hmm. 
And at that point, I had done comedy with Frank and Trace and Mike and Bridget. I knew all those guys from doing stand-up comedy. Uh, Joel, obviously. And uh, I believe it's safe to tell this story now because at one point Bridget told me, don't ever tell anyone I told you this. One day uh, I got a call from Bridget on a regular landline. This is how long ago it was. And okay, I'm going to dramatize this, but this is how it felt like in my memory. And she says, this is Bridget. Mystery Science Theater is looking for another writer. Don't tell Mike I told you. Click. That's how I imagine it, right? But she just did. in a garage at night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Behind a car in the shadows, you know, in a big dark coat. Um, and so I, uh, you know, I freaked out. And I didn't have a television, you guys. I was so broke, I didn't have a TV. Mm-hmm. And I had heard about the show, but I had no idea what it was. And so then I called up Mike a few days later, mustered up all my courage. And, and I feel like my voice was like this, trying to be normal. Hi, Mike, this is Mary Jo. I heard you're, if you're ever looking for a new writer, I'd be really interested. (laughs) And he said, bless his heart. He said, um, oh, well, we are looking for a new writer. What do you know? And so I went in for a two-week sort of uh, trial run. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the two weeks, nobody said anything. And <laughs> I was like so anxious and mortified. And I thought, I am going to be very brave about this. And I am going to go to each person and thank them for this opportunity. And all of a sudden... You know, I went to Trace, I went to Joel, I went to um, Kevin, stopped by everybody's office. And then all of a sudden there was a meeting where they asked me to stay on for another two weeks because they weren't sure they hadn't made their decision. And honestly, I I think they forgot. I mean, I'll give them all. (laughs) I'm serious. I'll give them all credit if they if they were, you know, on the fence. That's totally fine. But then I stayed another two weeks and nobody said anything again. So I didn't bring it up. And I just I just kept going. They started. They they honestly started acting like I was. An employee? Uh, yeah, <laughs> so you know what? In a rare show of backbone, I was like, I'm just going to roll with this until somebody tells me not to come in. And it's not like anybody else was there also doing a two-week run that you no. were having to shiv, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I also think there was a real, a real sense of, uh, what's the word I want? Um, because we already all knew each other, that dynamic was very important in the writing room, that level of um, comfort and ease and sensibility. Mm. In my mind, it happened like this. Tell me. You marched in like <laughs> Rosalind Russell and Ida Lupino <laughs> yes. together. And you were like, I'm your gal, see? Things are going to be different around here now. And then they all just said, okay, yes, ma'am. And that was how it worked. I want a contract on my okay. desk by the end of the day or I'm walking. <laughs> okay. Can I, uh, can I add an image? I, when you set that scenario, I picture myself walking into an office and hoisting one hip on the corner of the desk <laughs> yes. and leaning, yes. leaning over them in their, in their chair and sort of taking my pointer finger and tapping the desk. Here's how things are going to be. <laughs> Somebody light my cigarette and bring me a cup of coffee. <laughs> oh, if only. <laughs> uh, now, and you and Bridget are still collaborating. You guys do uh, have been doing some very funny shorts for riff tracks on a on a what like monthly, like a pretty regular basis, right? Yeah, I thank you. That's um, high praise. What um, what is it? What is a two person like writers' room like for you compared to? you know, the, the gang of everybody doing, you know, the original show? Oh, that's a really good question. Well, we, we apportion the script or the movie. 
So the only time we actually collaborate, so we'll each do a portion of the movie on our own, and the only time we uh, actually collaborate is when we review the script as a whole. We really get each other's sensibilities, and that's the point where we'll clarify or challenge jokes, and then it, it comes together from there. But that I hadn't thought of that in ages, Alonso, where you, you are, I am working independently, and you're not getting the writer's room feedback where, where either there's laughing aloud, or sometimes we would be so technical, there wouldn't be laughter, but somebody would say, that's funny, in a really flat voice. So, <laughs> especially Frank, like we still imitate Frank because he had this great way of saying, that's hilarious. And he, was, <laughs> he was serious. And if Frank gave you the, the A-OK with that, that flat delivery, you were, you were good. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's, a, that's like a character in my favorite year, the one guy who's like, oh, oh big laughs. Scream. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But never laughs at anything. <laughs> right. I love that movie. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, now we come to think of it, you, you know, I think in, in, the, in the various iterations of these shows, like you've gone through the everybody in the same room. Uh, and then like for Cinematic Titanic, you guys all sort of did your own thing and then created a super script out of that, right? Correct. Yeah, it was, um, it was an Excel spreadsheet with all the time codes and each of our jokes in, in a different color highlight. Mm. Um, and then that script would be divided among us to uh, what we used to call line assign in Mystery Science Theater, where you were responsible for your portion of the movie and you broke down which jokes you thought would work best in the time frame allotted. And when when you're writing stuff, like say for, for Cinematic Titanic, were you thinking, okay, Trey should say this and then Jay Elvis should say this? Or was it just sort of the jokes themselves and then you guys figured out in another way how they were apportioned? No, I know that I did because I could always, for the most part, hear someone saying them. Mm. So I had that instinct of who who could say what with a certain delivery. And of course, there are always lines that will work for anybody sure or um or or the line is well yeah i guess i'm repeating myself but yeah there are certain lines that will work for anybody uh, I, I, one of my favorite anecdotes i think you shared this in the in the mst book was that the first line you ever wrote that made it into a show was at the beginning of uh, teenagers from outer space and and you you said audrey hepburn's hat is coming in from a la for a landing <laughs> Yes, my my first joke at Mystery Science Theater. <laughs> Someone should needlepoint that for you, and you can have it on the wall. Oh my God, you're a genius! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about the Mary Jo Peel show, which is happening on Twitch, and we've been lucky enough to be on. Um, how did, where did that yes. come from? Uh, well, i I always have a million ideas, and then I never bring them to fruition. For whatever reason, I don't know, I, I get in my own way or maybe, you know, like over COVID, I went on a Ray Donovan binge. So I was completely, um, you know, you just sort of landlocked. <laughs> you know, that's that's what's happening. Ray Donovan is happening. I couldn't possibly do anything else. Um, so... Oh, I know. Sorry, I'm I <laughs> speaking of bad memories. So this company approached me at the beginning of the pandemic and they were called Sidestream. I don't know if they exist anymore. And they pitched this movie watching thing, right? Mm. So um, where they had a, access to a whole universal library, which was amazing. And they were looking for special hosts to host a movie watching party online and God damn it. If we didn't try four times to make that happen, like people couldn't access it. The film wouldn't run while I was talking, hmm. whatever happened. And they were so sweet and so nice, uh, but it just never panned out. So in the meantime, Chris Gersbeck is producing 
Frank and Trace's show, The Mads Are Back. Mm-hmm. So they they go online with the pandemic, right? So they're they're airing online on YouTube. And please check them out. I love those guys and they're hilarious. And he approaches me and he's aware of this situation and he says, I know a way we could do it if you wanted to do it. And I have always wanted to host a variety show. <laughs> and so, but again, you know, Ray Donovan is in the offing. So. <laughs> so I we went back and forth and I said, what if it looked like this? What if it was this? And am I over answering your question? No, no, I love this. Okay. And, okay. And, and look, I've always thought of you as a combination of Tony Orlando and Dawn. So of course you should be hosting a variety <laughs> show. <laughs> I, that's what I was weaned on. I'm serious. <laughs> um so then we're we're I feel like we're still hammering it out, but he he got me all set up. He figured out all the tech technology part of it, and um, he's kind of he's you know my foil. He's a, a co-host. He gets all this shit together, and that's how it evolved. And we're still experimenting with formats, and I still think of the. Partridge Family Book Club and how great you guys were. As oh, you know, I've been fans of all y'all. And um, yeah, that was just so much fun. And I told you, it my heart just burst to see you guys. <laughs> well, seriously, because the pandemic has made things so weird. And I think I saw you right before the pandemic when I was in L.A. Yes. I came over for Entenmann's. Yes. <laughs> And a sit down. Uh, <laughs> no, it's funny that you mentioned the the thing with Universal because I do recall that the early pandemic was marked by a lot of uh, joint movie watching, streaming things that never worked. Like mm-hmm. Amazon Party, remember that one? You I know, don't even. Seemed like a good idea, but somewhere about 20 minutes in, it would always just glitch up and freeze and everybody would either start the movie over or it would just be like a nightmare. Oh. So you, okay. you, you you gave me a quick flashback there. Um, but yeah, it's funny because for you, it's been Ray Donovan. For us, we spent the first part of the pandemic rewatching the Mary Tyler Moore show. Yes. So the fact that your logo uses that same font, uh, just, you know, like tickles me uh, 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 no end since you're both you know comedy legends from Minneapolis <laughs> well, some people this is really interesting uh, for me anyway some people have uh, sort of uh, given me a side eye about that font but that font was used well before Mary Tyler Moore yeah. oh sure yeah in different in different formats so well I felt kind of weird about it I love it but it felt because I love the Mary Tyler Moore show and think it's one of the greatest sitcoms ever. Um, I felt a little abashed. And then I started reading about that font and that it was widely employed before the Mary Tyler Moore show. So I think that's just my way of exercising my own guilt and explaining to people. Own it. You're allowed. (laughs) And we love that font so much that we put it on our wedding invitations. I didn't get a wedding invitation. We didn't know you yet. That would have been super stalker if I had <laughs> sent you a wedding invitation before we'd actually met. But you know, and yet I'm this kind of really- laugh. I'm laughing inwardly at the very possibility. <laughs> like, oh, how great would that have been? This was uh, the 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 mid '90s when we both we were just talking about this today. We both assumed uh, that marriage equality would never take place in yeah. our lifetime. Yeah. So we just were like, well, let's just do it then. Let's just have a party and get fake married like a, like a doggy and kitty wedding and then like invite our friends. <laughs> Damn straight. So we did it. And now the funny part about that, that we can't shake Alonzo's family from the, <laughs> the, the core conviction that that was somehow our legal wedding day. <laughs> oh, really? They don't, they think. Oh, they know. They yeah, but better. they just refer to it as such. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 yeah. They, they, they call it the day that Dave got his papers. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, but then you did have... A, a, a legal one. Yes. Yeah, after in it was legalized, right? Yeah. 2008, yeah. when it got legal in California. And then 2015, of course, when it uh, 
When it became legal nationwide. When we could magically file a joint tax return. Yes. No. Wait. Okay, so 2008, because I remember being in in San Francisco, and it must have been for a cinematic Titanic show, and I still have a photograph of it, where, and I opened my hotel door, and the USA Today or the Chronicle was right there at my doorstep, and that was the headline, and I just started crying. I still have a picture of that. So it must have been 2000, wait, when did it, was it? It was Actually, legalized there, in California in 2008. Well, there's a couple of things because we there was a there was a window in San Francisco where they were doing weddings there. there was right, like Gavin Newsom's big show off thing, and we trooped up there and did that. So maybe you're you're getting you're conflating those two things, but uh, it was actually those immediately annulled weddings that led to the court case that led to 2008 and becoming legal. So it's a it's a crazy mishmash. Yeah. In any case, congratulations. And <laughs> no, Thank seriously, you. like fucking a, you know. Yeah. What are you gonna? Yeah. That's. Yeah. Life. I mean, I'm secretly ninety, and it just like made me, <laughs> still makes me mad, even though it's been underway. But with the current situation about everything. Oh yeah, it could go away in a heartbeat. That's the other thing. We can't exactly. like, get too cocky about it. You know. Right. Take it for granted, for fuck's sake. Oh, I'm sorry. What's the rating on this? Uh, it's going it to be explicit now, a, but it's fine. It used to, it used to be a clean podcast. That's <laughs> <laughs> what we had. Legendary blue comic Mary Jo Peel on the show. <laughs> no, I've listened to you guys. That is such a lie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you've been you've been taking care of your dad of late. Um, is, is are you secretly taking notes for for the book about him or no? No, actually, uh, I am. It's a, it might be premature, but I'm going to talk to you guys about. It. I'm going to tell you about it anyway. So uh, my dad, bless his heart, put up a tiny comedy club in my garage, brick wall and everything. Well, yeah, because he, the local, the local um, lumber emporium here is called Menards. And so Menards is a shorthand here in the Midwest. You get everything at Menards. You don't say Home Depot or other places. It's just a catch-all, Menards. So my dad is a builder and a woodworker. He's amazing. And during the pandemic, I had moved in with him because he was 86 and we didn't want him to be alone. And he got something shipped to him and the packing material was an old piece of plywood with a brick embossing. So I said, Dad, you have to save that for me because it's like an 80s comedy club. <laughs> so I, he saved it. I moved into a new place. And one day he shows up to my house and I got this tiny single car garage he pulls up, backs his pick. He's 86, mind you. Pick, backs up his pickup truck and unloads this sheet of plywood embossed with brick. And he says, where do you want it? So <laughs> I go nuts because I don't know what I'm going to do with it. But but it's so great. It's like I came up in stand-up comedy with that brick wall in the male comics wearing blazers and pushing up the sleeves. So he, he puts it where... I want it. And he says, oh, I think you're going to need a stage. Uh, okay, you know, okay. So the next day he pulls up again and he's made a stage, oh my a God. tiny stage. <laughs> so <laughs> he, and it's heavy and he unloads it from the pickup truck and he fashions it in there. He thinks of everything. So you can also flip it back up to get it out of the way. Nice. And wow. so I start brainstorming and I think, you know, I've always wanted to do my own comedy special. Netflix isn't returning my calls. <laughs> I'm going to do my comedy special in the Mary Jo Peel garage for the performing and comedic arts. <laughs> and I'm going to interview my dad and and have him reinstall it and film it so i'm kind of working on um a video piece about that i am so down for all of this <laughs> seriously you think it's a you think it's cool i think it's a Very great much. idea yeah 
Because I was going to ask you, you are somebody who started in stand-up and then obviously took off in other directions. But is, you know, is stand-up a thing that you miss? Is it a is it a medium that that you feel is, allows you to do things that, that maybe other ones don't? Yeah, absolutely. I I, I kind of made my bones in it, so you don't all you don't really shake it entirely. Um, what I do know is that I'm not cut out for. Uh, five shows a week at a comedy club. I know that's not the ha ha hut. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Uncle, uncle fuckers, chuckle hut or whatever (laughs) they're calling it. So, um, so I feel like I need to create my own space or, or curate a different space. And it's still something I'm working on. Hence the comedy garage. And um, where was I going with this? Do either of you know? Uh, no, just the the the, the, <laughs> the thing you you always you know come back to because it you know it allows you to do things or yeah. You know. I mean, the stage is kind of in my bones, and and I realized uh, a couple of years ago, Patton Oswalt was here in Minneapolis, and I got to do a guest set with him at the State Theater, which is this beautiful theater. You know, I don't know how many it seats, 2,500. And um, they're there for him. Like, it's a specific audience. And I did about six minutes. And the the response was so great that you walk off stage and you're like, oh, that's how I want to do it. That's (laughs) what you do. You get this following where you fill a stadium and people love it. It was really heady. And I love Patton. And it was just an amazing evening. Well, and I think, you know, having your own space and being in charge of that means that now, you know, you can like uh, force younger comedians to watch you masturbate. In front of them. <laughs> that's how this works, right? Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, that's right. Oh, my God. Could you, could you imagine? <laughs> um, just have a seat. Do you want anything to drink? I just got to put the batteries in my vibrator. <laughs> if you, are you comfortable? Okay, great. Oh, God. No, but I think seriously, you know, more and more you're hearing women comedians talking about whether it's, you know, putting out their own CDs, whether it's, you know, organizing their own tours and stuff. There is this sense of like, we have to do our own stuff because the the way that stand up is structured right now is so grossly sort of, you know, sexist and, and run by awful people that, yes. that, you know, if we want to exist in this space, we have to carve out our own. So you're literally doing that. Totally. And with, with the technology and everything, it's, <laughs> there's so many ways you can do your own thing. You know, you can be your own Ani DeFranco with everything. You <laughs> and you are, you've already got a Twitch channel, so you're ahead of the game. Right, right. I mean, well, I mean, anybody can get a Twitch channel, but be that as it may. Oh, please. It would take us <laughs> weeks to figure out what to do with one and how it's set up and, you know. No, you're you're no, you're already yeah. hitting the ground running. When you invited us onto the Partridge Family Book Club episode, I was like, I don't understand Twitch. What I'm what how do we get in? How do we tell people to watch it? I don't know anything. Is there a link? And then Alonzo's explaining it to me, going, Well, you know, people go on there and they play video games and people watch them play video games. And I was like, What's happening? <laughs> Dave, I feel so yeah. close to you right now. Yeah. I know because you sent me an email about one about how it works, which I totally feel you because I don't get anything. You have to you have to spoon feed me right what to do, mm-hmm. and Same. then you were like, "How do we tell people about it?" <laughs> and so I think I hooked you up with the producer Chris, and uh, no, I totally get it. And is is doing stuff. Like, like video wise on your guys's radar because if I can do it, Ish. y'all can do it. When when I started the podcast, it was like audio only, so you know yeah. I, I've I've hewed to that. But even even in that space, we're so like slow and backwards about technology. Here we are. It took us twelve years to get you on our podcast. <laughs> I just want you to know that I just really feel you. I so get it. <laughs> I need to understand something. Uh, 
What? Why Ray Donovan? Uh, first of all, Liv Schreiber. Enough said. Right? Very, han- very handsome man. Well, and there's something just ugh, about him. I don't, I lack words. Yeah, okay. he, he's got a, a, a brutish quality that I personally enjoy. Oh my gosh. As well. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Brutish. Um, and I don't know. I think that first episode just, okay, first of all, I'm not a fan of John Voight personally, but he is fucking amazing huh. in that show. You guys have watched it, right? Never. I've, I've never seen it. Oh, okay. Uh, he's amazing in it. And it was just one thing after, uh, I don't know, how do you get hooked on anything? You know, well, I know the first episode comes out of nowhere with where it's going. And then you're, you are so on board that I remember that reaction. No, I get it. There, there's there's ones that just grab you right away, and you're like, okay, I got to see this thing through, and, mm-hmm. and whither thou goest, TV show, yeah, I will totally. follow. Oh, and also the world is falling apart, so I'll just bury my head in the sand <laughs> with this this world. Also that. Um, <laughs> uh, I just have to share with you, speaking of Liv Schreiber, so I can't show this because this is a podcast, but... <laughs> A friend of mine sent me a picture of a woman wearing a t-shirt that reads, my ideal weight is Idris Elba on top of me. (laughs) (laughs) And I will forward it to you guys because it's been on my my desktop for at least a year. And I laugh (laughs) every every time. So that's kind of my ideal weight with, with Idris Elba, Jason Momoa. Liv Schreiber. I yeah, okay. Seeing it, feeling it, hearing it. Yeah, you know it. <laughs> well, uh, I know you've got uh places to be, so we're not gonna keep you, but uh how can people find you online? Where can they find the book and your Twitch and all that stuff? Well, thank you, sirs. Um the Twitch channel is the uh backslash twitch backslash forward the slash Mary Joe forward slash? Okay, it is forward thank slash. you. <laughs> Okay, forward slash the Mary Jo Peel Show, mm-hmm. all one word. Peel is P E H L. My website is M J Peel, all 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 letters together, nothing in between. Uh, the book Red Hawk Publishing, or uh, tinyurl.com forward slash Mary Jo Peel will bring it up too, and we'll have a link in the notes too. Thanks. I just adore you guys and love talking to you. Well, it's been a pleasure, and we promise to not wait another 12 years to have you on again. Well, that'd be nice. And uh, I hope What are you, you doing next to- week? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. She wakes up in a room full of MST and memorabilia. It's happening. <laughs> <laughs> no, and get the Entenmann's ready, because I, I want to uh, come to L.A. again this uh, winter for, like, two weeks and hang out. So uh, get the Entenmann's ready, we sirs. Do. We just dusted the guest room. It, it had become the <laughs> junk drawer during the pandemic, but, you know, come on over. Thanks, you guys. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Hey, listen, thanks for listening. Again, if you want LKTV regularly, uh, go to patreon.com slash linoleum knife. You're going to pay. Uh, yeah. The first one's always free. Uh, but uh, until next time, goodbye. <laughs>